Amen. Uh, Well, if you'll be finding in your Bibles the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. We're starting in verse 7 today. I'll explain in a moment why we're in Ephesians 4 and not the Gospel of Luke, but uh, if you'll find Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, uh, let's, let's stand once more as, as God's word is read. I'll hear then God's holy word from uh, Ephesians chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now this is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. And so you'll notice then that we're not in the Gospel of Luke this morning. We'll return, in, uh, Lord willing, in just a couple weeks to Luke chapter 16. Uh, but this is part of an ongoing series that we're calling Ministry at Trinity. Uh, we've looked at Acts chapter 2 uh, back in the fall, asking the question, what is the church? Who are we? Uh, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4 last month uh, to uh, see this idea that the, first there's this ministry of every member in the church, every member using the gifts God's given them. This week and next week then, uh, we're going to spend time on this idea of uh, uh, the ministry of faithful officers of the church, elders and deacons in the church. Who, who are they? What are these offices? Why do we have them? What are the qualifications? Um, and you might be saying, why are we teaching on that uh, now? Uh, we've been planning this uh, for some time. We as elders and deacons are starting to pray uh, about uh, calling uh, uh, new men, uh, elders and deacons, those who would take up those offices. We'll talk more about the process in the weeks and months to come. And, uh, and, and, and either way, we thought it was time. It, it, it's good for us to dig into God's Word and say, what is the role of elders and deacons? But more generally, you might be asking, why would a church preach about church leadership? right now. Uh, when, if, if you hear anything about church leadership uh, in the news, um, it's usually pretty good, right? No, the, you might be saying, this is the perfect time to lay low, <laughs> and we'll talk about church leadership in like 10 years, um, when sort of the dust has settled. Uh, certainly you've seen uh, many scandals, many uh, abuses of church power, and, and you might wonder, let's just lay low. Let's not talk about this. Let me just give an example to, to jog our memory. This is, some of you might be familiar with this quote. I'll, I'll take out the name of the church, but uh, this is one pastor, or was a pastor, speaking to other pastors. This was a, a church training event where he was 
speaking to other pastors, uh, just to give a flavor of uh, perhaps what's, what's on our mind when we think of church leadership, unfortunately. So he, pastor to pastors, he says this, here's what I've learned. You cast vision for your mission, and if people don't sign up, you move on. There are people that are going to die in the wilderness, and there are people that are going to take that hill. That's just how it is. Too many guys, again, pastors, waste too much time trying to move stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate people. I am all about blessed subtraction. There is a pile of dead bodies behind this church's bus, and by God's grace, it will be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. There are a few kinds of people. There are people who get in the way of the bus. They got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus. They got to get thrown off uh, because they want to go somewhere else. There are people who will be on the bus, um, leaders and helpers and servants. They're awesome. Uh, There are also some nice people who just sit on the bus. They're not helping or hurting. Uh, Just let them ride along. Uh, You know what I'm saying. At the very most, you'll give them a job to do, and they'll serve somewhere in some minimal way. Uh, You don't do this uh, just for your church planting and replanting. I'm doing this right now. We just took certain guys and rearranged the seats on the bus. Yesterday, we fired two elders for the first time in the history of this church last night. They're off the bus, under the bus. They were off mission, so now they're unemployed. This will be the defining issue as to whether or not you succeed or fail. I've read enough of the New Testament to know that occasionally Paul puts somebody in the wood chipper. If you pulled people in the streets and gave them that quote and asked them, is this sort of how you view church leadership? Many would say, yeah, either that, so either dangerous or just completely irrelevant. There's dangerous leaders, and then there's those leaders, they're not dangerous, but they're also, yeah, they they lead services and just sort of stay out of the way. It's interesting that pastor says, I've read enough of the New Testament, and he says, by the grace of God, but has he read his New Testament? What does Jesus say? Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What if we had a vision of church leadership that on the one hand was not abusive or domineering, get on the bus or get out of the way, but also on the other hand was not irrelevant? What if there were actual offices, publicly recognized roles and functions in the church that Christ himself established, that were, that were, that were to be taken up by faithful men, faithful men who love Christ and who saw him as the one who came to give his life for the church? Let's look then at this passage in Ephesians. I think it's so foundational. Uh, This week, Lord willing, we're sort of just asking that big question. Are there offices in the church? Are there church leaders? Or are we just making this up? Does the Bible teach this? Next week, Lord willing, we will look at specifically elders. Uh, Who are elders? What are their qualifications? What does it mean to elect them? And then, Lord willing, after Easter, we'll look at uh, deacons as well. What's the role of deacons in the church? 
And so for today, let's look at Ephesians 4 and just try to answer that question. Are there officers in the church? Are there church leaders that we're called to submit to? And what does that even mean? And so in Ephesians 4, of course, we're, we're jumping right in the middle of Paul's thought. And so to sort of bring us up to speed and also sort of build out this vision, this high vision of the church, uh, if the book of Ephesians is anything, there's many themes, uh, but we could say it's this, this epistle about the church. I mean, uh, these, these broad sweeping statements of who the church is and who the church's head is, Christ Jesus himself. So in Ephesians 1, three through 14, we see this Trinitarian redemption. We're chosen by the Father, we're redeemed by the Son, we're sealed with the Spirit unto the day of salvation. And then at the end of chapter 2, Paul says, and he put all things under his feet, Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you have this image of Christ as the head, and we are the body, and we are filled with the fullness of Christ as he is head over the church. And then he gives these amazing metaphors in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens right, of a kingdom. You are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. So we're like a building, and Christ is the cornerstone holding it all together. Um, And he says it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is amazing. What is the church? It's it's a building, it's a temple, uh, it's a body in which God himself dwells with his people. So then in chapter 3, uh, he, he just <clears throat> spills out into praise about Christ and the church. He prays that, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that brings us right up to chapter 4 then. Uh, as he says, uh, we have... Uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. And so we have this image of, uh, of the church being purchased by Jesus, gathered, uh, sealed by the Spirit. Christ is the king and the head of this church. And then he's going to talk about giving gifts then to his church. And so point number one in your outline is the gift-giving king. Verses 7 through 11, the gift-giving king. Christ is head of his church. Um, I've quoted from this book before, but R.B. Kuyper is a, is a wonderful author, and he writes about, he has a whole chapter called The Glorious Head of the Church. Here's how he puts it. The relationship of Christ to his church is so varied and rich as to defy adequate description to name but a few of, his new, of the numerous aspects of this relationship, he is both its founder and its foundation, its savior and its owner, its preserver and its hope, its lover and its beloved, its righteousness and its holiness, its head and its king. Without fear of contradiction, it may be said that no aspect of Christ's relationship to the church looms larger in holy writ than the fact that he is its head. As such, he is transcendently glorious, and his body, the church, cannot but partake of his glory. Christ is head of the church, and when we think of this idea of officers in the church, uh, that word is sort of an interesting word. We do use it 
uh, in our culture, of course, you know, police officers or people who take public office. Uh, it means that there's a, a certain role uh, that gets filled by different people throughout time. So you could say there's a, a judge on the seat fulfilling that office, and a judge will come after them to fulfill that same office. <clears throat> and so men take up these offices, but uh, the offices are these recognized roles and functions and responsibilities. One way that helps us think about Jesus and his work in ministry <clears throat> is we talk about his three offices. And this isn't meant to place him in a box or three boxes, uh, but to help us think about who is Jesus, one way of answering that question is that uh, he is prophet, priest, and what? King. He is prophet, priest, and king. And Christ is head over the church. He is head over the church as prophet. He speaks words of life to his people. He is the word of life to his people. He is the bread of life. He is our priest, uh, forgiving the sins of his people. Uh, he is the, the perfect priest, and, and he's also the sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice who purchases for us. And now he makes intercession for us before the Father. And here he is king and ruler over the church. He protects his church. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. This is who Jesus is. And that means that he provides for his church. He gives his church everything that they need. I remember an old, uh, one of my old pastors would say, um, how do you know that the church is not a man-made institution? Because it still exists. <laughs> uh, the church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the grace of God and for the leadership of Christ, its king. And that's exactly what we see here in Ephesians 4 that lays a foundation. We'll talk about elders, elders and deacons in a minute, but first of all, Christ is king of the church. He has all authority. And you'll notice here what it says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We'll come back to that because that sounds very similar to First Peter 4. Uh, that, it, it, that every member is gifted and used for ministry. And we'll come back to that. Uh, but it's interesting, verse 8, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, your footnote will probably tell you uh, that Paul is quoting from Psalm 68. You can turn there if you want or just hear, but uh, what's Paul getting at? Why is he quoting Psalm 68? Psalm 68 is very much a, a kingship song. It's God as king conquering his enemies. And let me just read you some samplings from Psalm 68. Uh, verse 1, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. Uh, and then uh, later, uh, verse 12, the, the king of the armies, they flee, they flee. And so uh, this king is coming, conquering God's enemies, they're fleeing. And then verse 18 which is what's quoted here. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. And so we have this image of a conquering king. And uh, in this time when a king would come and, and conquer, uh, you would sort of parade the uh, conquered ones in front of you. In other words, you know, we have the power, they don't. Um, and so, you know, God's enemies uh, berating his people, killing his people, devouring them as men devour bread. God comes in as a triumphant king, defeats them, marches them in this procession to say, I, I am God, I am in charge, not the nations. And it's interesting, if you'll notice, it says receiving gifts among men. But what does Paul say? He came giving gifts to men. 
uh, Paul is taking some license here to apply Psalm 68. In other words, the conquering king would sort of take in the spoils, uh, everything from the conquering nation, but then obviously those spoils would be then distributed to the, to the people and for the sake of the nation. Here we have this image of Christ as this, as this conquering king, the, the king of Psalm 2, uh, come to, uh, to take out the enemies of God's people, but he comes uh, leading a host of captives in his, in his train. As Colossians tells us, he defeated every principality, uh, uh, the devil and his angels were defeated. And so though we still war against them, they're, they're sort of uh, like sort of petulant children that are kicking and screaming until the day that Christ will come and do away with them for good. He's this kind of conquering king, and now he is distributing gifts to his church. In other words, he's not like the conquering king who just hoards the wealth and has the people serve him. He's the conquering king who comes and serves his people. And gives them exactly what they need. And what does he give them? What does he give them? We, we see here he, he descends in his humiliation. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. In other words, he's the one who's able to give us. These aren't mere words. He's, he, he's able to give us from his fullness. And verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. Friend, I want to convince you this morning, and I think Paul wants to convince you to receive as a gift from Jesus Christ church officers, those that are faithful to him. And one way that, that Paul wants to convince you is to show you that Christ, the conquering king, who, who will give gifts to his people, what does he give them? But church offices. How does he lead his people? In many ways, through his word, through his spirit, but it, it's, it's through called uh, men. We'll see elders and deacons. Uh, so that if we think of Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd, uh, applying it to all of us, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. Uh, this great shepherd, this chief shepherd, he is the head of the church. He's also, he's also the fount of every blessing. He is the overflowing cup for his people. And so that he will give uh, his people everything uh, that they uh, need. How has the church survived these last 2,000 years but by the mighty arm of her king, her commander-in-chief, protecting us, correcting us, uh, forgiving us? Think of every persecution, every attack, every plague, every error, every sin on the part of the church, every heresy, every division, and yet the church stands by the grace of God and by the leadership and equipping of Jesus Christ. So he is the gift-giving king. And if we love our Jesus as I hope you do, I hope he is your savior and your king, we will love everything that he gives us, even as he gives the terms for these things. But, so we see the gift-giving king, number one. Number two, the gifts we receive. The gifts we receive. And again, before we get to these, what we call the special offices in the church, uh, we want to talk about what we call the general office of every believer. Verse 7, the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And uh, you can go back and listen to that First Peter sermon in, in chapter 4. He, we're stewards of God's varied grace. He has gifted each one of his people. You notice as verse 12 and onward uh, that, the, that the saints are being equipped. We're, we're being built into the fullness of Christ. And so 
Christ gifts his people with church leadership, but the church leadership are meant to equip people and, and, and stir up to love and good deeds. This is the general office of every believer. So before we talk about electing elders and deacons, every believer holds um, an office. And, and in one sense, we could say they match up with Christ's offices. Of course, in a derivative way, Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And we are not those things in the way that Christ is, uh, but we're prophets in the sense that we are called to speak the truth in love to one another, as Ephesians says. Uh, we are priests in the sense of 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. We are kings in the sense of Revelation chapter 1. It says he loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to God and to his God and Father. Every believer is this, as we're united with Christ, and yet, verse 11, and he gave these special offices. Uh, You might notice that there's more things listed there than when I say elders and deacons. So let's very briefly uh, talk about, uh, there were the apostles, such as Paul, who's writing this letter. Uh, these were, uh, this was a temporary office, uh, those eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ who lay down for us. The, the, earlier in Ephesians, you heard me read the, uh, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, they were sort of these foundation stones. Everything we do now, uh, we, we've been given the apostolic deposit. Everything Christ taught his apostles is given to us and made accessible to us. And so you have the prophets, not the Old Testament prophets, we think, but uh, the apostles and the prophets, even in the New Testament, uh, those who are especially, gift, especially gifted to speak directly from the Lord in a way that uh, doesn't happen anymore by God's design. We have been given the words that we need, the words of eternal life. And then we have the evangelists, um, this actually is a term that we use even in our uh, church government here in the OPC. Uh, you've probably heard us pray for Klamath Falls and our group there. We're, we're praying that God will call an evangelist to come. Um, and at least our understanding of evangelist here is, is, is a pastor, a, a teaching elder, uh, but who comes specifically to help a new work start. And then you have more familiar terms, shepherds and teachers, and, and, and these would be, there's many synonyms uh, in the New Testament, shepherds, uh, teachers, overseers, uh, bishop is even a word in the New Testament, uh, 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 presbyters. These are all words for what we'd call an elder uh, who helps uh, ruling in the church. Deacons aren't mentioned here, uh, but that's okay. This isn't an exhaustive list. And so we would say that elders and deacons then are the two offices that continue into the New Testament age. And we'll talk, we'll flesh that out in the weeks to come. But what's their purpose? Given by Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Right? He, he goes on to say that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, By human cunning, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ Jesus himself. This is a glorious vision. Remember, this isn't the irrelevant church leader that sort of says some things and prays some things. uh, This is active. This is equipping. Uh, This is uh, uh, helping the church to grow to maturity so that it could withstand human cunning and every wind of doctrine, so that it could speak the truth in love, so that it can grow into its head Christ 
Jesus. This is the purpose of uh, the officers that Christ has given to us. And so again, I want to convince you to receive officers as a gift from Jesus Christ, to receive them. But what are, what are barriers that we have to receiving? What are barriers that we have uh, to receiving? And I'll talk about just one barrier this morning. I think maybe in the weeks to come, we'll look at some different things. Because we might even say, okay, I see it. Ephesians 4, I see it. Christ is calling uh, certain men to lead the church. But I still have a hard time with it, right? Either, either if you've come today and you, you find yourself not connected to a church, or perhaps you're, you're a member of this church and you still, there's things you struggle with. What, what does it mean that God would place someone in authority over me? when we see so many abuses of authority around. So let's just handle this one question this morning and, and perhaps more in the weeks to come. What are some barriers to receiving? Number one then is, what about when an officer is not faithful? And so we've called this sermon the ministry of faithful officers. And of course we have in, in Titus chapter 3 and in First Timothy there's, uh, that we'll look at next week, these, these list of qualifications for elders and deacons that they're to be held to in Christ, knowing that no man is perfect, but they're called to be faithful and belong to the good shepherd. So what do we do? What do we do with this barrier? I think a legitimate barrier. What about when officers are not faithful? Well, let's differentiate a little bit first, um, because we're going to talk in a minute about even abuse of authority uh, on the part of elders and deacons and pastors uh, but what about when an officer fails you? Let's use that language for a minute. Uh, what do you do when elders and deacons fail you? Um, because, and I don't have the gift of prophecy, but we will fail you and, and, and have, and I will fail you in my role. So let's think about when an officer, uh, or let's say it this way, an officer can be a faithful officer and, and fail you uh, if... Uh, he is repentant, uh, and, and that really is what it comes down to. Remember that quote I read earlier? That just dripped with someone willing to repent, right? <laughs> no, it, it, it dripped with someone who's saying, I'm doing it my way, and you either get on board or that's it. Uh, but a, a faithful officer is one who, uh, when he recognizes either a blind spot or sin, is willing to accept that and repent and find forgiveness and make changes where needed. But what about when an officer truly is being unfaithful to his charge? What about when there's an officer who's been placed in a position of authority actually abuses that power? What do we do then? Because I think this is a legitimate barrier. Certainly if that's your pastor, if that's your elders, I mean, talk about a barrier... But even if maybe sometime in the past you've experienced that, maybe you've experienced, when I read that quote, you're like, that must have been my pastor. That must have been an elder I know. And I'm so sorry if that's been your experience of church leadership. Or perhaps uh, it wasn't as obvious as that, and it was quieter and behind closed doors, whether uh, misconduct or sexual abuse or any other kind of abuse of power. What do we do with that? Well, what does 
what does Scripture have to say? Is, is Scripture naive, right? At, at Ephesians 4, you know, God gifts his church with officers. I'm arguing to you that Christ will give his church everything she needs so that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. If a legitimate barrier for the church is when officers are unfaithful, does Christ give his church what they need even then? In Acts chapter 20, um, verses 28 through 30, Paul to the Ephesian elders says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Notice his language, right? Legitimate authority, oversee this church uh, that, in your role, but be alert because wolves are going to come in. Not they might, wolves will come in. False shepherds, false teachers. Oh, and by the way, they're going to come out of your own midst. This isn't naivete. This is Paul looking the elders in the eye and warning them that Satan loves nothing more than an unfaithful, false teacher. Or in John chapter 9, if we ask the question, well, what would Jesus do with these false teachers? In John chapter 10, Jesus says, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. A friend, if you have experienced abuse at the hands of a false teacher, hear the words of your good shepherd. Even before we talk, there's, there's, there's things that we can do to address that, but even right now, hear the words of your good shepherd, who, unlike the thief that wants to kill and steal and destroy and use the sheep and devour the sheep for whatever their ends are, the good shepherd lays down his life for you. And he says that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if he's your Savior, you're in the palm of his hand, you will never perish. No one will snatch you out of his hand, even though they try. And what will the chief shepherd do? There are wolves in the flock. What will the chief shepherd do to those who devour his people like men devour bread? In First Peter 5, we'll probably look at this Next week, he says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Do you hear that? Those men who are called to these offices know that they do so as those who will have to give an account one day to the chief shepherd. And what did, what did Jesus say to Peter in his ordination service, as it were? Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. What's the role then, if we had to summarize it, is to love Jesus and to feed his sheep. 
those who would instead devour his sheep will have to answer to Christ. We pray in this world, and then and, and there's accountability and process in ways uh, that these men can come to justice even now. But even if, even if in their deceit they slip through the cracks, as it were, they will have to answer to the chief shepherd. And woe to the one that has to answer to him who has hurt his people and his sheep. When an officer abuses his power, when an officer disqualifies himself with habitual unrepentant sin. I remember one of my teachers um, looked us in the eye one session and, and he said, look, your salvation is irrevocable in the sense that if you were repentant, if, if you were fighting your sin, if, if you were coming to your Savior once again um, to mortify your sin, your salvation is irrevocable. Uh, but brothers, your calling as a pastor is not irrevocable. There are things you could do that you would remain a Christian if repentant and never be a pastor again the rest of your life. I think we need to hear that. I see too many examples of pastors who fall into grave sin and then give a politician's apology and then the church elders come up on stage and say it's being handled. They're taking a paid two-month vacation to pray, and then they're back in the pulpit two months later. Christ takes the shepherding of his sheep so seriously and that there needs to be accountability. And indeed, I'm thankful to be uh, in this denomination, though not perfect, uh, that if you have a concern about me or any of the elders or deacons, it's not just you talking to me and, and me. Like, we're not the only ones involved in that. There's accountability around me and around others. And so there are indeed unfaithful officers, but Christ is the chief shepherd. He will care for his church even in the, even in the midst of that. And so we'll look at more bar- barriers in the weeks to come, but wh- how do we receive them? How do we receive officers? What does that even look like? Well, let me just offer a few. This isn't exhaustive, but uh, number one, would you pray for them constantly by name? Paul does this in 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Pray for your elders and deacons for wisdom, for strength, for the grace of Christ. Number two, submit to them in the Lord. And we'll talk about this more next week. But Ephesians 13, 7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, as we, as we just referenced. We'll flesh that out next week. What does it mean to submit to them? Do they have all authority? Short answer, no. Um, our book of church order is actually more about limiting church power than, than uh, giving it. Uh, we are ministers of the word, but we'll talk more about that next week. Number three, be equipped by them. If part of their purpose is to equip for the work of ministry, we long to see you using your gifts. And so allow your officers to spur you on to that. Number four, communicate honestly with them, uh, both uh, the good things, the encouraging things, also the challenging things, or the have you thought about this, or uh, I have a question about this. Uh, With a session meeting this week, it's a perfect chance to, to, to get a hold of us. And then number six, help recognize those men who are to be called. And we'll talk more about this 
in the weeks to come. But uh, part of the way that uh, every believer uh, is, is the church then uh, helps to recognize those men, those faithful men, not perfect men, but those faithful men who are willing to go and to follow uh, the chief shepherd. How would we describe these faithful men? I, I read a book uh, called The Care of Souls, um, written by a man named Harold Sankbell. We would have some differences theologically. He's more Lutheran by persuasion, but his, his words are very precious about the pastoral ministry of, of your elders and deacons. And uh, lest you think um, that to be an officer is sort of just to wield power and make rules, and uh, it's definitely not that exciting. Um, it's actually more like being a sheepdog or an errand boy. Let me read um, this quote. Uh, He's sort of speaking to pastors and elders. You are sheepdogs for Jesus, doing his bidding. Like a tender-hearted shepherd, he yearns for every one of his sheep, uh, be they hungry and thirsty or wayward and lost. Every moment of every single day, he longs to tend those already in his flock and to gather his other sheep he is yet to bring into his fold. The church already has a Savior. What she needs now is the Savior's servant, someone to do his bidding and to bring his gifts to his people. That someone is you. Always remember you're nothing more than an errand boy for Jesus. Faithful officers will say amen. We'll take that metaphor. A sheepdog, an errand boy for Christ the head and the fount of every blessing for his church. Wouldn't we want to follow people like that who say, imitate me as I imitate Christ who laid down his life for the sheep? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have gathered your people throughout time from every tribe, tongue, and nation by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Christ is head over the church, his chief shepherd. He will see to it. He will provide us everything we need. Oh, Lord, would you have mercy on even our church here in this country uh, with so many failures, uh, so many sins, uh, right in the pulpit, right in those who should be, uh, the ones saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and yet falling into grave sin, unrepentant. Lord, would you call false teachers to account here in this life? Would you bring healing to those that have been hurt by them? Would they not run away from the chief shepherd, but find safety in his arms? And would you be with our church then as we think to call men to these offices? I pray that you'd be working in the hearts of men even now, uh, considering uh, whether they would take this high calling uh, to be uh, servants, public servants before your people. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ who gives us everything we need. And we pray this then in his name. Amen.